What a great day, church family, to get to be at Enon. What a joy it is to be able to come this morning and open up God's Word to you today on this very special day. It's an honor every Sunday to get to come and be your pastor, but today on this very special day, even more so. And that's, that's what we are praying and proclaiming here today, that Jesus is the one who has built His church and has sustained it for 150 years here at Enon. And rightfully so, we should celebrate that Today, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And today as we look back on the past of 150 years of uh, the gospel going out from Indian Baptist Church, we need to know that it is right and good, it is a God-honoring thing to take time to look back at the past and celebrate what God has done and for it to serve as a reminder to God's faithfulness to us here today. In Joshua chapter 4, as the children of Israel, they've been, God has led them out of Egypt. He's led them out of the wilderness. Now they get to the Jordan River and they're about to cross the promised land. And God supernaturally dries up the, prom, the, the Jordan River so that they can cross over on dry land. And once they go over on dry land, the Bible says that God told Joshua, So Joshua, take 12 stones out of the bed of the Jordan River that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Make an altar. Stack them up on the promised land side of the Jordan River. And he says that this will serve as a sign for you and the generations to come of the God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the wilderness. You see, it was a moment where God was saying this is a hallowed ground moment and it needs to be remembered. And church family, that's true for us today. As we cross this 150-year mark, this is, a, this is a hallowed ground moment. This is a stone-stacking moment in the life of God's work here at Enon. And my, my prayer for us today is that today would be more than us just looking at the history of God at Enon. And I do pray that you would do that. Man, go and visit the old sanctuary, walk around, go and see those historical displays of, that, that show God's faithfulness in the years past. But, but I want to remind you here today is that I believe that God wants to do more today and in this season than just remind us of history. I, I believe God wants to be a history maker among us. I believe that we want to do more today than just look back at what God has done in the past at Enon, but to recognize that God is still working and doing a work among us today. And as we enter into this season when we're praying for revival, as we'll meet tonight and over the next uh, several nights, I encourage you to be here. Again, this, this is once in a generation, man, once in a lifetime here, we get to take a moment and say, God, do a fresh work in us that we can continue to be a church that survives and thrives in the days ahead. And so this morning, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. And the the context of what's going on in Hebrews chapter 12 is the writer of Hebrews is writing to a people who have gone through great waves of persecution. They've gone through great struggles and hardship. And so he's writing to them to try to encourage them, to try to spur them on. And so Hebrews chapter 11, he gives them what is known as the hall of faith. And I encourage you, take some time, maybe this afternoon, read through the hall of faith. He talks about great men and women of God who served him faithfully, like Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab, David, Gideon, many others. This great hall of faith. And then he transfers from that moment to Hebrews chapter 12 in these first few verses. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word. If you can't physically stand, just stand in your heart. Scripture says, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, Therefore, 
That's where Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 is connected. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses to the faith, he's talking about those in that hall of faith that he just mentioned, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured so much hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this morning truly. Lord, we ask for a revival work at Enon. God, we ask, Lord, for your spirit to fall afresh. God, you are the one who built Enon. And God, even as that song we've been singing, you're the one who's still building your bride here. And Lord, we do pray as we take a moment to look back, and rightfully so with eyes of praising you, Lord, and lifting you up. God, today I pray, Lord, would you speak to us this morning. We need a word from you. One word from heaven, God, can change everything. And so, Lord, I pray, give us ears to hear, soften hearts. God, put your word in my mouth. Like Jeremiah, God, for your name and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take a seat there. Now again, what he's writing here to this passage about stirring people on. This is probably one of the most familiar passages in the Old Testament about fixing your eyes on Jesus, run the race that is set before you. It's probably one of the most familiar because it means so much to us today. It is a divinely inspired halftime speech. And this is the people of God who are going through a hard situation. And he tells them about the hall of faith. And he says, now listen, all of these great kind of the witnesses are surrounding you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Run the race that is set before him. And is meant to inspire and encourage God's people. And today as we get an opportunity to look back at 150 years of history and and our own great cloud of witnesses to the faith, those saints of God who have gone before us at Enon Baptist Church, we too are in a season right now we say, Oh God, would you do a fresh, encouraging, inspiring work in our lives today? So the title of our message this morning is Keys to a Church That Endures. As the writer of Hebrews is spurring on these people to continue on, there's truths that he gives this church here that he's writing to that I believe have been true for Enon in the past and will continue to be true for us in the future to endure on as the people of God in this community. And so that being said, if you're keeping notes this morning, the first key for a church to endure we see from this text is that we must be a people who honor our spiritual heritage We need to recognize here that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he starts off with reminding them of the great cloud of witnesses that surround them. Again, the Bible wasn't originally written with verses and chapters, and so as you would have read Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith, immediately you you would have picked up to that therefore at the beginning of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, to the faith. He writes this as a means of encouraging them that one of the greatest keys for their faithfulness of today is to recognize that they are a part of something that is bigger than themselves. The same God who is at work mightily in the lives of Abraham and David and, and, and Rahab and Gideon is the same God who is at work among them today. And this truth on this very special day is that we have our own spiritual heritage. As we look back at 150 years here at Enon, we can see these faithful examples that we can learn from today that spur us on to continue in the work that God has given us. We have today 
a great spiritual heritage here at Enon Baptist Church. Let me give you a few ways that we can remember them. Today, as members of Indian Baptist Church, we have the heritage of those faithful men and women of God who founded Enon Baptist Church. Every church had to start somewhere. I have been a church planter in my life in Arkansas, and uh, the Lord let our family be a part of planting a church. And I've been a part of a church where everything you did was the first annual, you know. It may not mean it was always going to be a second annual. We may have found out that it was a bad idea, but everything we did sounded great on the front end, you know, and... You got to start something and be a part of it. And the truth is that Enon Baptist Church was started in 1872 before the town of Morris was even established. Somebody said one time, why is there not a First Baptist Morris? Because Enon would have been that, but Enon was here before Morris was a town. We know virtually nothing about the first members of the church. We don't even know the name of the first pastor of Enon Baptist Church. All we know is that they founded the church out of a desire to gather in the name of Jesus, to worship Him, and to serve as an evangelistic outpost to this community. These would have been those people who rode horseback to church or walked to church. These were those people who we know from historical records who cut down trees and built a log building as a church, who hewn out log pews to sit on in that place of worship. In the wintertime, when they went to church, it would have been cold. In the summertime, it would have been hot because Alabama was Alabama in 1872, just like it is today. But they still met. They still prayed. They still gathered. They still worshiped. And over time, God raised up a church. Like the unnamed 7,000 faithful men and women in the days of Elijah who had not bowed their knees to Baal. These were the unnamed faithful who knew nothing other than their love for Jesus and his call to raise up a church where there was none at that time. One of my favorite things to do as a family that Kimberly and I do is that we read missionary biographies and stories of missionaries and church planters in the years past about these people who would go to places and bring the gospel where it had not been or where there was very little access to the gospel. And when we hear these stories about these laborers and these church planters, they inspire us. But church, I want you to know here today that we've got those men and women in our heritage here at Enon. 150 years ago, these were those people who sowed the first seeds of faith and believed first for a church to be founded for the glory of God here at Enon, and God brought it to pass. We've got missionaries and church planters. We've got faithful men and women of God in our heritage here at Enon. Also, Today, as members of Indian Baptist Church, we have the heritage of those faithful men and women who have served faithfully over the years and over decades. And we've got endless stories of those who have tirelessly served over the last century and a half. We have records of the faithful lay members of Enon who successfully started and maintained a vacation Bible school every year since 1940, with the only exceptions being the year that the church burned down and then the COVID year. And if you know anything about serving vacation Bible school, you can say that that has been a work of God that people continue to serve in Jesus' name at vacation Bible school. Can I get an amen to that here today? We know, I want you to think about this. Since 1940, We have no idea. Heaven only knows how many hundreds, maybe thousands of children who gave their life to Christ at these events. We know that for almost a hundred years, the first hundred years of Enon, that it wasn't until 1950 that the church hired its first full-time minister. So for almost a hundred years of Enon, 
It was the bivocational pastors who shepherded the people of God at Enon. Those people who worked their trades during the day, plowed their fields, worked their trades. And while doing that, God was speaking to their hearts. They were developing sermons. They were praying. And then they were ministering to the people of God by night. We know about the faithfulness of the people of Enon who continued to gather and serve the Lord amidst many struggles, such as starting a church in the aftermath of the Civil War, the Great Depression, two world wars, and the Great Fire of 1974 that destroyed all of the church's uh, facilities. It's actually one of my favorite parts of our history was on the night after that Sunday, the very first gathering of the church, after all their facilities were destroyed, it would have been so easy to be very inwardly focused at that point. The, the history shows us that the church voted to continue as normal in their gifts to the cooperative program and missions that the gospel would continue to go out. They were a church without a home, but they realized they didn't need a home to be the church and so they continued to give and it's been these faithful men and women throughout Enon who have served in children classes Sunday schools youth classes mission trips music ministries vacation Bible schools community outreaches prayer gatherings and countless other ways that have all played a part and thousands of people coming to know Jesus over the last 150 years and today we should be thankful for all these servants of God who have gone before us can we give them a big amen and praise the Lord this morning But then also another thing in our history that I wasn't aware of that stirs my soul today. As members of Indian Baptist Church, we have a heritage of those who have gone before us and desire to see God work in great ways, and they saw Him work in great ways. If you look throughout our history, you see that there were three separate revival moments in the history of Enon. In 1910, 1916, and 1920, there were revival moments where the history shows that dozens of people came to faith in Christ. The historical records were that there were people gathered all up and down the banks of Turkey Creek to watch people get baptized. One person in the historical writing says that the revival work that God did at Enon was known and was unique in the country at that point. God did a revival work. We read about them in books. We don't know that we've got them in our own heritage here. But then if you fast forward from there and you get to the mid-90s, under the student ministry leadership of Brother Ken and around the early 2000s, 2000s, under the pastoral leadership of men like Brother Mark Stokes and Brother John Hambright, you can see other seasons in the lives where students and adults were being saved and called into ministry regularly. Church family, you go back and Enon has a heritage of God being at work, not just doing church, but God showing up. Now listen, when we are honoring these faithful servants of God from the past. We're not praising man, but we're praising God who has been faithful and graciously continued to give vision and direction to his servants who have served as catalysts for the Spirit of God to work among his church throughout the years. Now there's several things that can happen, several positive effects today that can happen in our life when we look back at our spiritual heritage Acknowledging our spiritual heritage gives us faith that as God worked in the past, so he can work again today. Church family, I can't tell you what it does to my heart and soul to read that God has visited this area. God has visited our body of Christ here before in special revival works in years past. 
It, it stirs my heart to pray, oh Lord, not just sin revival, not just pour yourself out, oh Lord, but oh God, do it again. I got to thinking about after the first service that in 1974, coming up on just almost 50 years ago, was when the church experienced its first great fire. And it stirred up in my heart and say, oh Lord, at the 50-year mark, can we say that God, you sent another fire? But this time, God, would you send a fire from heaven? Would you do that revival work again? Acknowledging our spiritual heritage gives us examples to follow in our lives today. We see these faithful men and women who have served Served in hard times, served in struggles, but continue to be faithful. I look at these pictures, if you see here on the screen, these were two pastors, uh, Brother William McCrary and B.F. Hughes. These were in late 1800s, early 1900s, two pastors. Now, when I first saw these pictures, two things came to mind. The first thing that came to mind was, I, I, I need to step my man card up a little bit here because uh, these are some bad looking dudes, honestly. You know, that the first guy looks like John the Baptist, you know, and the second guy looks like Doc Holliday. You know, I'm like, hey, I... I need, to, I need to pick up my game a little bit. But when I see men like this, knowing these bivocational servants of the Lord who were faithful, let me tell you what these men were not. They didn't worry about social media. They didn't worry about their Twitter following. They didn't really worry about whether or not their name was known outside of this area because, again, they're bivocational pastors. They didn't care about that in the moment. These men were just faithful to the God who saw them, and they served faithfully unto his name and glory. And it stirs my heart to say, oh, God, help me to be faithful like that. May I be only known in heaven and heaven alone. And God, may my name only be known to you, Lord Jesus, and to the devil as a dangerous force for the kingdom. When I see these examples, it stirs me on to say, Oh, Lord, help me to be faithful. But also, when I look at our spiritual heritage, it reminds me, gives me hope to endure. Because just as the Lord was with Enon through hard times in the past, He will continue to be with us in the future. Enon Baptist Church endured so many struggles over the last 150 years, but God has been faithful. And as we, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we look to the future especially the gospel future in the midst of the moral decline of our day. As we live in a day, as like the prophet Isaiah said, that we live in a day where people call good evil and evil good. Sometimes it can be discouraging to wonder how can we continue to exist? How can we continue to see God move and work in the days ahead? But I promise you, if we look back throughout history of Enon, you will find just as dark of days, but yet God walked them through it. And we can be assured today that the same God who started that work in us We'll bring it to completion, as Philippians 1, 6 says. So the first key I would say to us, church, this morning about being faithful, the church to endure, is we must be a people who look back on our spiritual heritage that recognize that the same God who has been with us will continue to be with us. The same God who has answered prayers in the past still wants to answer prayers today. The same God who called up missionaries and church planters to step out on faith and to see him work is the same God who is wanting to call and raise up men and women of God who will serve him for his name and glory today. As we pray that we would be a church that doesn't just reach our neighbors and the nations, that we would be a sending church, we can look back on our history and say, that's where we started. We started out of a moment of faith. And our spiritual heritage helps us in that. The second key for a church to endure is we must pursue holiness before God. In the latter part of verse 1, the writer of Hebrews gives another practical action for the people of God to do in order to remain faithful to Him. And he calls them to rid themselves of sin. 
He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now friends, today as we reflect on the past of Indian Baptist Church, we must also consider the future. And in doing so, we must take into account that no church will long survive if sin enters the camp. Churches that become accustomed to sin and a lack of holiness will not run the race for the gospel well and they will either die a death of hypocrisy, having lost all moral and spiritual influence in the community, or they will will die a divine death by God removing his hand from them. Revelation chapter 2 verse 5 is a text that me as a pastor who's been given a charge over God's people as an under-shepherd is one of the most frightening passages in Scripture. Because it lets us know that God's speaking to the church there at Ephesus that if they did not repent, that he was going to essentially take his hand off of them. It says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Basically, I'm going to take away your platform to shine the light of the gospel. And why is that? Because if they did not repent, if they did not pursue holiness then God was going to come and take his hand off of them. Now, church, I'm not saying here today that England has been a perfect church over the last 150 years. But the fact that we're still here today over the last 15 decades, number one, tells us that God is a graceful God. He's given grace to his people. But it also has reminded us that in the moments of temptation and compromise that God's people here at Enon have walked in repentance and fear of the Lord as they faced these opportunities. Every generation inside the church is given moments by the enemy where they can turn away from God. But it's incumbent on every generation of a church to say we are going to pursue holiness. We're going to be a church that pleases the Lord Jesus, not just a church that satisfies the world around us. Church, if we are going to remain faithful to the Lord another 150 years, or if the Lord tarries, let me give you two ways we have to commit to holiness. First, At Ian, for us to endure as a church in generations to come, we must commit to congregational holiness. That means that the overall direction of our church, where we put our focuses on, where we come together, us together, what we commit to, our vision and direction as a church, that it must be towards those things that please God. And the number one way that we will remain a church that is congregationally pure is by us committing that in the days ahead, all of our pursuits will be doctrinally pure and scripturally led. This means that in the days ahead, we must continue to stand on the word of God as the entirely inerrant and and final authority on direction and beliefs in the church. This means when it comes to things like the role of men and women in the church, we must stay faithful to the scriptures. When it comes like God's design for sexuality and marriage and gender, we must stay faithful on the word. When it comes to things like how do we view people of different races, the origin of humanity, the reason for brokenness in the world, that in all the things that we face around us, we must be bound not to what culture says, but we must be bound to the Bible. Church family, if we are going to be congregationally pure in the days ahead, we must remain a people of the book. We must follow the example of men like Martin Luther when he faced death or the denial of Scripture and he made this statement, I cannot recant, here I stand, I can do no other. But also being led by the Scriptures will not only make sure that we remain holy to God by not doing the things that God doesn't want us to do, 
But it'll also help us remain holy to God by doing the things that God has called us to do. It's one thing we can be unholy in what we do wrong. or We can be unholy before God in what we omit to do. If the Bible is our God regularly, then it will lead to us to regularly bring the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. If we are led by the Bible, we will regularly hear God's call to be desperate for God in prayer and seeking Him. If we're led by the Bible, we will remain unsatisfied with dead, lifeless religion and will consistently seek to truly meet with God and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Church family, one of the things that have stirred my heart in recent months is with all of your ministers on staff and also with several of our deacons on Thursday morning, we've been reading through the book, reading and praying the book of Acts together. Now let me tell you something that happens when you read and pray through the book of Acts. You see a God at work. You see God sending people out. You see God setting people free from darkness. You see people saved. You see God at work among his people. And what it consistently does for us in those moments is it puts us on our face before God and says, Oh God, there's more. Oh God, there's more you want to do. God, we don't want to let up. God, we want to be led by you. And church, in the days ahead, if we are going to be a church that endures, that really endures in the power of the Holy Spirit because we need God at work in the days ahead. We don't need religion. We need the power of God. And we need the Word of God. Now, it's easy for us as Baptists to celebrate it, but it's one thing for us to lean on it and truly follow it. Several years ago, uh, my little boy, Jackson, my middle son, he, uh, he was a toddler. He was probably two, three years old. and He still had a pacifier, so I'm guessing he was around two. And It was right around that time where he would learn to pick stuff up. And when he would pick something up, we would tell him, ooh, you're so strong. And he liked to hear that, you know. So he would randomly come in with things like over his head. And I was sitting in the living room one day, and he came in, and he had our bathroom scales over his head. He had his pacifier in. He was in his diaper. And he just had the scales over his head, and his eyes were big. And, you know, he was showing me how strong he was. And I was like, ooh, man, you're so strong, you know. And he set it down and he was asking me what it was. And I said, well, buddy, this is actually, you're not supposed to hold this up. You're supposed to stand on it. It's not made to be held up. It's made to be stood on. And I thought about it later that evening as I was thinking about the Bible. So easy it is for us in churches sometimes to hold up the Bible, to celebrate it, to say, man, we believe in the Bible. We're a people of the book. But the reality is, is the Bible's not made just to be celebrated. The Bible's made to be stood on. It's made to lead and direct our lives. And if we read the God of the Bible, then we will press us towards His presence. I mean, honestly, church, right now, it's pressing me towards revival. God, we need more of you. So congregationally, we need to be pursuing holiness. But the second way for Enion to, to endure as a church in the generations to come is we must commit to personal holiness. We're honest here today, it's easier for all of us to say amen to congregational holiness than it, is, than it is for us to say amen to personal holiness. Because when we all start looking in our lives, we know that there's areas in our life that is not completely holy before the Lord. But the reality is, is that our personal sin and our personal lack of unholiness doesn't just affect you, it affects everybody around you. The Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. And so if one part of the body is sick with sin, if one part of the body is, is lax in our pursuit of the Lord, then it affects all of us. And we see this all throughout Scripture. In Joshua chapter 7, God stopped the conquest of the promised land because of the sin of one man named Achan. In Acts chapter 5, God stopped the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the early church because of the sin of two people, a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira. 
And the reality is this morning, church, you may seem, feel like you, you, you think you're insignificant in the movement of God, but you matter. And if you're a part of Indian Baptist Church, you matter. You matter to the mission of God, and you also matter to the holiness of God. And so as we call ourselves in the days ahead to pursue holiness, recognize that it's not just for you, but it's for the glory of Jesus in the church. I remember several years ago at a friend of mine's church, it was one Sunday morning, a young teenager came up in tears at the end of the service and said, Pastor, I've got to say something. He stood up in front of the church and he confessed publicly to the church some hidden sin in his life. He wept as he said, I've asked God to forgive me in church. I want you to forgive me. Nobody asked him to do that. The Holy Spirit put that in his heart. A few moments after that, an adult grown man came up and stood next to him. And openly again, he confessed to some sin in his life and things that were in his life. And then one after another, and revival broke out in this church. And it was an incredible story. But I, I wonder sometimes what had happened. What would have happened if that one young man didn't follow through in the voice of the Holy Spirit? Church today, as we look all throughout history, we see that sin absolutely leads to compromised people. And a compromised people can lead to closed churches. Praise God that God has been faithful to Indian Baptist Church for 150 years, but another 150 years is not guaranteed. Another 150 years of faithfulness until the Lord tarries will be based on our faithfulness to the Lord today. And if you don't believe it can happen, let me tell you a story. Several years ago, while I was serving in Memphis, I was asked to come and preach at a church. I was, man, I was young and, uh, and would go preach anywhere they wanted me to preach. I had a, a sign pretty much on my, my desk that said, have Bible, we'll travel, you know, and, and, uh, there was a church that was, a, the pastor was bivocational. It was a small church, about 20 people is what I was told. And the pastor was sick and they needed somebody to fill in for him on Sunday. So I expected to go and find this, this little small building. But rather, I was, went to downtown Memphis, pulled up the address to this huge sanctuary. I went to these big doors on the front and the doors wouldn't open. I went under the back of the sanctuary. Those doors wouldn't open. There were no cars in the parking lot. And I was thinking, man, I must have the wrong church, the wrong address. I got in my truck to start to leave, and I went around the back side of the property, and I found where it used to be the old sanctuary that was kind of connected to it now. It's like a little chapel, but there were a few cars in the parking lot. Walked into that chapel and recognized that this was the church. And so I came in, a few faithful people there were ready to worship the Lord. I preached that morning. We had service, and after it was over with, I, I asked the, the deacon that was there, I said, well, man, what's going on here? And he said, well, over the years, as we've declined, we've just moved back into this sanctuary. And he said, we've closed that off. And I said, well, I'd kind of like to see that old sanctuary, or the, the, the larger one. He said, well, okay. Well, we started to go up the ramp, and they had literally did the foam insulation around the doors going into that so they wouldn't waste any heating and air. And we had to go into the basement to come up into the sanctuary. And we went into this sanctuary that would have sit over a 1,000 people. And you start thinking about all the, 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 the heyday when God was at work there and all that had happened. But as I started to hear the story, what had happened was is immorality in the church and racism in the church. And a, as the community around them started to change, they decided not to, to change and reach the people around them. And over time, you saw this church began to die. They made a decision at certain points along the way to not seek holiness personally and congregationally. And the church was making its way towards death. And church, the truth is, is today that is still a possibility. But if we will commit to say, oh Lord, help us to be a church that honors you, God will be faithful and he'll send his spirit again. And then finally this morning, 
The third key for a church to endure is to hone in on Jesus. And writers in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, the writer calls for the people to hone in on Jesus, to remain faithful to him by saying, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you would not grow weary and lose heart. Here he tells them, church, look towards me. Fix your eyes on me. Now you would think, surely that's the easiest thing for any church to do. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You'd think that's the easiest thing for any Christian to do. To fix your eyes on Jesus. If we're a people who say that we have taken up our cross which is a necessity for every Christian, you would think fixing our eyes on Jesus is the easiest thing to do. But the reality is, is all of us today know that it's not. The distractions of this world can jump in the way. The practices of even doing church, religion, the works of religion can move us away sometimes where we totally miss Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul warns the church at Corinth about this. He says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. Did you hear that? He's saying the devil comes to turn your mind away just from purely loving Jesus. Where Jesus wants to take you, where the enemy wants to take you away from that childlike faith. So as we close here today, I want to give you a few ways that we can stay focused on Jesus personally, even as a church in the days ahead from this text. First, to stay focused on Jesus, we must love Jesus like we did at first. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author of our faith. You know, that author there, he's talking, absolutely, he's saying that through Jesus and Jesus alone are we saved. And we know that's true. No one gets to the Father except through Him. But He's also reminding us of that beginning point, that initial point, that moment where you first fell in love with Jesus, where Jesus in His blood, He inked your name into the Lamb's book of life. And we see it all over Scripture, the call for us to remain at that place where we first loved Jesus. You know, that first joy that came in your heart when you first came to know Him. That first excitement, the fact that you're a child of God, to know that you've been freely forgiven. Like the prophet Malachi said, we become like calves who have been freed from the stall as you leap for joy. The Bible says it's easy for us to drift away from that. In Revelations, Jesus told the church to not forsake your first love. In Psalms 51, verse 12 David says to the Lord, O Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain a willing spirit within me. Church, this morning, if you're going to be successful as a Christian, if we're going to be successful as a church, we've got to stay there. We've got to say, O Lord, help me to always love you like I did at first. You know, something that stirred my heart this last week as I thought about our 150-year anniversary. I thought about the fact that for over 100 years of our history, we've been right here. 724 Marsh Majestic Road, this is where we have been, right here. This little city on the hill, the church has been right here. Many buildings have been built and rebuilt and burned and rebuilt and so on, but this is where we've been. And I started thinking in my mind and my heart, spiritually speaking, how many spiritual altars are on this grounds? 
How many altars have been built? Stone stacking moments in the hearts and lives of people where they say, that's where I gave my life to Jesus or that's where my marriage was restored or that's where God called me into ministry or that's where God set me free. And when I go back to those places, my joy is renewed. When I go back to the altar, to the place where I first came to know Jesus, everything else seems to matter just a little bit less and Jesus seems to matter a little bit more. Friends, we're asking for revival among us today. Maybe you pray and ask God, God, help me to love you like I did at first. Jesus, just help me to love you like I did at first. Is that you here today? When was the last time you just wept in his presence? Jesus, thank you for loving me. Secondly, to stay focused on Jesus, we must consistently look to the day when we see him face to face. He talks about Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Talking about the end date, the day when our faith becomes our sight, when we leave this world in death or at his return and we see him face to face. Church family, there's nothing that steals our spine more or encourages our faith more than to live with the reality that one day I will see him face to face. You want to have revival in your heart today? Start living as though Jesus will come back this afternoon. And then finally, to stay focused on Jesus, we must always be humbled. By what Jesus did for us on the cross. I'm going to ask Brother Ron to come. And, you know, towards the end of this pregame speech, this halftime speech to encourage people to stay faithful, he ends by bringing them back to the cross. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You think about this connection point here. He's encouraging these people to stay faithful. Oh, stay faithful. Run the race that is set before you. And he ends on the greatest encourager of faithfulness. He tells them, remember the cross. Consider him who endured such hostility at the hands of sinners so that you would not grow weary or lose heart. He's saying basically everything that you need to remain as a faithful Christian Every motivation, every word from the Lord, every encouraging moment that you need to be faithful in the Lord, it is found at a visit to the cross, at a visit to where Jesus died for you. And why is that? Because that's where he told you he loved you. And when I know that he loves me, truly know that Jesus loves me and I live in that, then I'll do anything in the world for him. You know, just knowing somebody loves you does something for your soul. I love when our kids were little, we used to mess with them. They'd come running through. Do you love Daddy? Do you love Mommy? Yes. No, you don't. You don't love me. No, I do. I love you. Say, how much do you love me? Stretch out them little hands. I love you this much. Church, everything that we need to be faithful to the Lord Jesus today is just to go back to the cross. And to remember that 2,000 years ago, for the sin of the world and for your soul, Jesus said to you, I love you. And he said, I love you this much. That's what we need. We just need Jesus. We need Jesus more than anything else in the world today. And so this morning, as we mark God's faithfulness over the last 150 years, and we look to the future, let it start with a revival in in our heart for our love for Jesus. 
One of the greatest ways we do that is we do that through taking the Lord's Supper. So in the seat back in front of you, there where you are, I'm going to invite you to do something that Enon Baptist Church has been doing for 150 years, that the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been doing for 2,000 years. It just only made sense that today we would take the Lord's Supper together. We practice open communion here at Enon, which means that as long as you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, we invite you to partake. The Lord's Supper has always been something that intended us to be a, a moment of decision, a moment of reflecting, a moment of you meeting with God. It's not just a practical action. It's a holy moment. First and foremost, it should say to us, if you don't know Jesus, the juice representing the blood of Christ, the bread representing His body that was given for you, if you do not know Jesus today, He's inviting you to come. Today could be the day of salvation for you. Today could be the day that Jesus saves you. Right there where you are, call out to Him. Right now, say, Jesus, would you save me? Forgive me of my sin. I want to know you in a real way. He can save you right there where you are. But it's also intended to be a moment of revival. As you, the Bible says we're supposed to take the Lord's Supper in a holy way. Which means as I reflect on the fact that my Savior gave all for me, have I given all for Him? Church, sometimes revival happens by us getting holy before the Lord. And so I'm going to invite you right now, if there's anything in your life that is off the table with Jesus, anything that you're hiding Anything that is level of disobedience in your life, just confess that to Him right now. And He'll forgive you. And He'll wash you. So I'm going to give you a moment here just quietly. Would you reflect on the Lord? If you need to ask Jesus to save you, call out to Him right there where you are. Jesus, save me. If you need a moment of repentance, you can do that right there where you are. But this is your moment. Call out to Him. And now I invite you to take that first little tab off and find that bread there. If you, if you peel the tab off, if you got to the juice, you dug a little too deep. There's one more tab right before that. Peel that little tab off and look at that piece of bread. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And then likewise, take the juice. It says, In the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Church family, as we've celebrated the Lord Jesus, we look forward to the days ahead. It only would be right for us to stand and sing a hymn unto the Lord together. So would you stand? If you Listen, if you need somebody to pray for you this morning, our pastors will be up front. If you need to give your life to Jesus, if you'd like to join this church, you feel free to come as we sing. But let's sing this to the Lord as Brother Ken leads us.